Good morning, Ridge family. We're continuing in our series called You May Believe, uh, looking at the 10 signs recorded throughout the Gospel of John that point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. We've, uh, so far, we've covered the, the first and the, the second uh, sign, the, the first being water to wine in chapter two. Last week, we looked uh, at the healing of the official son in John chapter four. And today, we come to chapter five. So if you want to go ahead and open up to John chapter five. Uh, and here in John chapter five, we begin to see a, a theme developing uh, that will run through the remainder of the gospel of John. Uh, in the first four chapters, we've seen that John presents Jesus as the promised Messiah, the words of John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But as we said last week, with every new sign, with every new miracle, Jesus's fame was growing. And as, his, and as his popularity grew, so did the number of people who either followed Jesus or rejected Jesus. And so beginning here in chapter five, John begins to trace the growing rejection of Jesus and a growing hostility in certain circles against his ministry. And as we continue through the signs of Jesus, we will see this hostility become more and more intense until it culminates at his death on the cross. And so today we look at the third sign or miracle of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John, which is the healing of the lame man. Let's look at this together. John 5 verses 1 through 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. These were like, imagine covered porches on pillars to provide shade, okay? Verse three, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, a little bit of background here that this name, Pool of Bethesda, it may, it may have been derived from two Aramaic words, Beth and Hesda, which means house of mercy. It translates literally to house of mercy. The Pool of Bethesda had a long history. It was actually used in ancient times to provide water for the temple. Originally, this pool had been used for ritual cleansing and, and bathing, which was an important part of preparing for worship. But over the centuries, the pool had been used for pagan rituals, primarily around healing. And because of that, John writes that the pool of Bethesda was a place where many gathered who were blind, lame and paralyzed. And depending on, on the translation that you have, you, you may see all of verse three and verse four, or you may not. Some translations include these verses. Some place them as a, a footnote, but here's what they say. This is John five. This would be the second part of verse three and verse four. Waiting for a certain movement of the water for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. That tells us why there were so many people there. Now, most New Testament scholars believe that that portion of scripture 
was not a part of the original manuscripts, that it was added somewhere along the way, which is why it's often placed as a footnote in some modern translations. However, this passage does reveal why why so many sick people and inflicted people gathered at this pool every single day. It was believed in that day from time to time when the the water in the pool was stirred or when it was moved or, or when it began to bubble up, that it was caused by an angel who visited the pool and stirred the water. Now, Today, we know that this pool, like many others in ancient times, was most likely built over an underground warm spring that would cause the water to bubble up from time to time. Warm water was soothing, just like it is today. If you have a hot tub or a jet tub, you know that the water can be soothing and it was believed in this time that it was also healing. And so the superstitious belief in that time was that whoever could get into the pool first, That was the rule. Whoever could get in there first while the water was being stirred or while it was bubbling up would be the one who got healed. And because of that reason, the pool of Bethesda was believed to be a place of healing. And so John tells us every day, a multitude of people would come to the pool of Bethesda, hoping that today would be the day that they would get into the bubbling water first. And there was one among them a man who had been lame for 38 years. Now, we don't know exactly what this man suffered from, but whatever it was, it had prevented him from being able to walk for all or at least most of his life. But on this particular day, as Jesus walks into the pool of Bethesda, his life was about to change. Look at verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So here was this crowd of people paralyzed, blind, lame, sick, all waiting for the water to start bubbling so that maybe they could be the first one to get into the pool and be healed. And into that large crowd, enters Jesus and he picks one lone man. Notice he he didn't empty out the five porches and heal everyone in sight. He didn't invite everyone to get in line and then lay hands on them. Jesus went to one man in a multitude of many. Now, the value of a story like this and the reason that it's included in the gospel of John is not only to reveal to us who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of God, but also to show us that how God deals with human helplessness. You see, the, the lame man didn't purchase anything for his healing. He, 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 didn't, he didn't find the golden ticket or, or win the healing lottery. The only reason he was healed on that day was because it glorified God for Jesus to graciously choose him and heal him. You see, all of us at times, we see ourselves in a sense as helpless or weak or or maybe paralyzed by things like fear or guilt or shame. We, We all need help at times. None of us walk perfectly all the time. And in his grace, God is as able to heal those who are physically broken as he is to heal those who are spiritually broken. Now, 
Does that, does that mean healing is always immediate? No. Salvation is immediate. Healing, it can be immediate. Sometimes it comes later. And sometimes it doesn't come until we receive our glorified bodies in the presence of God. There are people that I've known who have been sick or injured. And I and many others prayed for them. And as we were praying, we received word that they had begun to recover, that they turned a corner and that they were going to be made whole again. But there have also been plenty of times when I and many others were praying for someone who was sick or injured and we receive word that they did not recover and that they passed away. But I believe for a believer, either in this world or in the presence of God, we are healed both physically and spiritually. If you're taking notes, write this down. Sin and sickness came into the world through the fall of man and we must look to Christ alone for the healing of both. In verse six, Jesus asks a pretty strange question to this man. Considering that the man had been paralyzed for 38 years. Let's look at it again, verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, what kind of question is that? The last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus say some things that were pretty unexpected. But Jesus never says anything unimportant. And so there must have been a reason for this man to answer this question, do you want to be healed? Jesus didn't ask the question for himself. It wasn't as if Jesus was wondering, I wonder if this man would want to be healed after lying here for 38 years. It wasn't for Jesus that he asked the question. The question was for the lame man and for whatever reason, he had to be the one to answer. I was reading some writings from a, a well-known Christian counselor. He wrote this, there are three kinds of people who come into my counseling room, three kinds. The first kind is the yes people. When, when they're asked the same question that Jesus asked the lame man, they answer with a wholehearted, yes, I wanna be healed and I believe Jesus can do it. They're the yes people. The second group is the I don't know people. They're the ones who pause for a minute to, to consider. They have to weigh their answer according to how much this is going to cost them, how much responsibility is going to be involved or how difficult it will be. They're the, I, I don't know people. And then the third group is the, I don't deserve it people. Those who step into the role of God and judge themselves using their veto power to reject the work that Jesus already accomplished for them on the cross. Now, Maybe this man at the pool of Bethesda was losing hope. It seems that he had tried everything to get into that pool, but time after time, it had been prevented. He had failed. Maybe he was beginning to believe that he would never be healed or maybe that he didn't even deserve to be healed. We don't really know. But what we do know was the response when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And here it is in verse seven. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. In other words, yes, I, I, I want to be healed, but I can't. I've tried. I've, I've done everything I know to do. I, I want to be the first into the water. I, I want to be made whole, but, but I don't have the ability on my own. And there is no one here to help me. 
Some of you here today are watching online. You may, you may feel the same. You want your broken marriage healed. You, you want your broken family healed. You want your broken peace to be made whole again. And you've tried a lot of different things. And just when you think you've overcome it, 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 it overcomes you again. Or maybe you want to be healed from that depression or that anxiety, that addiction, but it just seems you, you can't. Maybe you've asked for help, but nobody seems to be able to help you. A lot of people today are right where this man was, a desire to be healed, but a sense of some kind of helplessness or doubt or uncertainty that it can actually happen, that they can actually experience true transformation. And that brings us to a critical point in this story. What did Jesus say to the man who was losing hope, a man who was convinced that maybe he couldn't or wouldn't be healed? Did Jesus say, oh, come on, I'll help you get into that pool next time the water's bubbling up? He didn't say that. Did he say, hey, hang in there. I just know there's coming a day when you're going to be able to get into that pool. And by the way, just know I'm praying for you. Did he say, did he say, hey, don't worry, let me make you a little comfortable. Let, let, me, let me bring you a better mattress. Let me bring you some flowers. And by the way, you're on the prayer list at our church. Jesus didn't say any of those things. Now, those are good things to say. And those are the things that we usually say to people who are hopeless or, or broken. But Jesus didn't say any of those things because those are not the things that Jesus says to people who are about to be transformed by his power. Here is what Jesus says in verses eight and nine. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus tells this man to do the one thing that he could not do for 38 years. And this is important. Jesus ignored all the superstition around the pool of Bethesda. He ignored everything about magic water and, and bubbles and all that stuff. And with one command, he said, get up, take your mat and walk. That revealed that the man did not need to have quicker reflexes. He didn't need angels or bubbly water. All he needed was the power of Jesus Christ. It's important to note that Jesus didn't just tell the man to get up. He also said, take up your bed, gather your bed, carry it with you. Now, that's not insignificant at all. And there's a couple of reasons that scholars suggest that Jesus told this man to gather his bed and to walk. And I'll mention one of those now, and then I'm going to mention the second one after I read the next verse. But the first reason the scholars suggest that Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, was because he was making sure this man made no provision for a relapse. Meaning he didn't leave room for this man to say, well, maybe I should just leave my mat here. Maybe I should save my place close to the water because maybe I'll need to come back tomorrow or another day, maybe next week or, or next month. No, Jesus didn't leave any room for that. Okay, he, he knew that this man was going to leave a situation that he had been in for most of his life. He said, get up, take your bed, don't leave it here because you're not gonna need it anymore. And I wanted to mention that because I believe Jesus is saying something very important, especially 
For those who desire to be free from sin or addiction or disease, Jesus says, don't make any provisions to go back to that thing that you've already been given power to leave behind. And that's where a lot of people stumble in their process in becoming whole. They choose not to burn the bridges that lead back to a former way of life. And you know what I mean? They leave open-ended options. They leave contingency plans. They stay connected to toxic people just in case, just in case there's a reason why they need to cross back over into that lifestyle again. But here's the truth. Life will never be found by crossing back over bridges that lead to death. Jesus said to the man whom he had healed, take up your bed and walk forward. Don't leave it here because you will not be crossing back over the bridge that led you to this place anymore. If you're taking notes, capture this. To obey Christ, we must burn bridges of our sinful past so we only move forward in our redeemed future. Now, the story doesn't end there. And in the next few verses, we see a second, perhaps deeper reason why Jesus told this man to carry his mat. Let's look at it together. The second part of verse nine through verse 12. Now that day, meaning the day Jesus healed him, was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So now we're beginning to see a fuller picture of what's happening here. Jesus chose to heal this man and then tell him to carry his bed on the Sabbath day, which was prohibited by the law. No one was allowed to carry a load on the Sabbath day. Now, why did Jesus do that? Did he forget what day it was? Did he heal the man just hoping no one would, would see or notice? No. As always, Jesus was very purposeful in what he did. He knew that when he healed this man and then told him to carry his bed on the Sabbath day, that it would grab the attention of the religious leaders. And it did. When the Jews saw this man who had been healed, they actually stopped him and scolded him, telling him it was unlawful to carry that bed on this day. The fact that a man who was once paralyzed for 38 years and now was walking in front of them just seemed irrelevant to these religious leaders. Jesus had not violated the Sabbath law. It was only the Pharisees' interpretation of that law that had been broken. Their hard hearts actually allowed them to be more concerned with the letter of the law rather than this walking miracle that was right in front of them. They were blinded. But make no mistake, Jesus knew that this would happen. Jesus knew when he walked into the pool of Bethesda, when he saw that man who had been lame for 38 years, when he walked up to him, when he asked him if he wanted to be healed, and when he told him to get up and carry his mat, make no mistake, Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen next. There was a reason. Jesus knew that this would be the beginning of the movement 
that would end with his death on the cross. Jesus knew this sign would initiate his journey to Golgotha that would ultimately fulfill the plan and the glory of his father in heaven. Verse 13 and 14. Afterward, Jesus found him, that's the man who had been healed in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. We're not told why this man had been lame for, for 38 years. But the context here implies that it may have been caused by some, some sinful choices. It appears that Jesus is saying, if you return to your sinful behavior, if you cross back over that bridge that leads to death, things could get worse for you. You see, with forgiveness and healing comes the expectation that we won't continue a path of rebellion and sin anymore. When we are redeemed in Christ, when we are healed spiritually, we, we don't go back. As a matter of fact, we go in the opposite direction of where our life was once heading. That's why it's called repentance. We turn our back on a former way of life. We actually die to an old way of life and we become new creations in Christ, living in a different way, living not for our own desires, our own wants. When we're saved, our, our wants change and we now want what he wants and we move in, in that direction. And that's what was that's what, was, that's what Jesus was getting to. Don't continue in a path of rebellion and sin. Don't, don't walk as a dead man because now you're alive. Now you have life. You've been healed both physically and spiritually. As believers, we are to do as John later wrote in John 14. If we love him, we will keep his commands. That means that we will walk in obedience. We will do the best we can to walk in obedience to the word of God. But you know what? None of us are perfect. Not a single one of us. We're gonna stumble. We're gonna fail at certain points. We walk in obedience. But we also enjoy his grace, his mercy that's brand new every morning. The grace and mercy that we sang about this morning that covers our sin. That's, that's why grace is so amazing. We don't ever have to return and cross those bridges that lead back to, to death and to sin and to that former life that we lived when we were so tangled up. We don't ever have to return to that. In grace, we can continue to walk in his light and in his love and in his mercy. Verse 15 closes this out. It says, the man went away. He told the Jews that, that it was Jesus who healed him. And with that, the religious leaders now knew. They knew who this man was that was stirring up all this trouble, making the blind see, turning water into wine, making the lame walk again. Now, now they knew. And this would begin a journey 
that would ultimately lead to the cross. But more than that, it would lead to the glory of God. The plan that he had established from the foundations of the world, a plan of redemption. The local legend held that the pool of Bethesda was a place of some kind of mysterious healing. Something that was supernatural going on. But with one command, Jesus showed that faith in legends, belief in superstition is just powerless. But I'm here to tell you this morning that faith in Jesus, the one who heals with a single command, the Christ who forgave all of your sins when he died on the cross and rose from the grave victorious. The master of the house of mercy. He's the only one, the only place where we can find physical healing for our bodies and spiritual healings for our soul. So I ask you the same question. Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed?